20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What's going on, Packer fans? Welcome back to an all-new episode of the Packer Day Podcast, joined again by Paul Brettel, co-branded today with the Packers Wire. Make sure to follow Paul over on Twitter at Paul underscore Brettel. You can follow me at Andy Herman NFL. Paul, uh, it has been a week. We do not get a victory to talk about this week. I think most people are relatively positive coming out of this game, at least from an offensive uh, point of view. But uh, let me ask you first, how are you doing and how are you feeling about this past Packer game? I'm doing fantastic. Always uh, happy to join you here, Andy, and uh, talk through the the previous Packers game. And I feel good. I mean, yeah, they ended up with a loss that stinks. We we want to see wins for the most part, but this loss definitely did not feel like the previous ones, the ones that were on that four game winning streak. We saw that that uh, progress that we're all looking yeah. for. Yeah, I said, hang the banner. Best Packers loss of the season. Uh, I don't know if you get any uh, points for that or whatever, but uh, no, it did feel a little bit different. I think these are the sort of losses that we came into the season expecting a little bit more. We're tough game on the road. I don't think the Steelers are all that great, but it's still the, the, the Steelers always play tough every single season. It's always tough to win in Pittsburgh, which is evidenced by the fact that they haven't won there since what, 1970 or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so to go in there and win is always tough, but I thought they were extremely competitive, had a really big call that went against them looked better on offense, carried over some of the successes from the game against the Rams into Pittsburgh and really kind of stacked a little bit of that. Um, yeah, I, the defense and special teams we can go over as well, which was not as exciting. But I think if you're playing competitive football in these type of games, especially on the road, that's a step in the right direction. And I was relatively happy with the result despite it being a loss. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, let's start on the offensive side of the ball. I want to actually kick things off today with Luke Musgrave because it's funny with tight ends. It's so hard for tight ends, uh, unless you're Travis Kelsey to be like wow players. Sometimes obviously Gronk, Jimmy Graham in his prime. There've been examples of tight ends that have been big time impact players, but I feel like Luke Musgrave is going a little bit under the radar um, just for his overall play as a rookie tight end. I think he's playing net positive football. The blocking is not great, but it's still ahead of where I expected it to be for a rookie tight end who didn't do, uh, just didn't do a ton of it in college, not because they didn't ask him to, but just more because he just didn't play a a ton. I still think he's, uh, like I said, ahead of the eight ball right now from a blocking standpoint. We've all been sort of waiting for these big explosive plays in the passing game to sort of pan out a little bit better. We saw two big plays from Love to Musgrave this week. This felt a little bit different, and I think it's time that we start talking a little bit more about Musgrave in the season that he's having. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those explosive plays, those were the things that had been missing uh, from Luke Musgrave on this Packers team. I think we talked about it during a previous week. Like They were doing a good job of getting him involved. Like He was, I think, coming into the last two weeks third on the team in targets. It's not as if he's been forgotten about, but he's been targeted around the line of scrimmage, I think, just in an effort to at least get the ball in his hands, give him the opportunity to make some of those splash plays through yards after the catch opportunities. But like we talked about previously, that's not how you truly maximize what Luke Musgrave can bring to this offense. The last two weeks, however, we've seen that, uh, that play down the seam, uh, those those deep throws over the middle. I mean, that's what he brings to this offense, that you know ability to create, create mismatches, that speed, athleticism, the size of his in the open space. Like That's what you're searching for. When that pick came in back in April, that's what you were assuming that this Packers team was getting. So it's good to see them finally uh, – recognizing that potential, getting Luke Musgrave those opportunities because it can open up so much within this offense. I think the last time I used the word gravity when discussing Luke Musgrave because he can be that guy who attracts defenders to him, uh, helping to create better spacing, better opportunities for others out there in the passing game as well, even if the ball isn't coming in his direction. And to the blocking standpoint, Um, I asked Adam Stenovich last week about it, just kind of what were his overall thoughts on Musgrave and Kraft together in terms of how are they progressing as blockers? And of course, added the caveat, 
there's a long ways to go, which we have to keep in mind, but he's happy with the strides that they made. I think since day one, we've always seen that Musgrave's been a willing blocker. Like that is not, yep. that it's never been an issue. It's just the the mechanics of it, the technique of it. And we are seeing that progression. I think that Rams game is a really good example of the growth that he's had as a blocker. On that Aaron Jones touchdown run, he had a really nice seal to help create that running lane for him. They had blockers at the second level. Aaron Jones walks in. And even on his touchdown reception, like he had to absolutely sell that block, which he did an excellent job of to get the linebacker to bite bite towards that fake on the right, left the middle of the field open for him. Like, are those plays that happen in week one or week two? Now, I'm not, I can't say for certain, but I'm going to guess maybe not to that level or that effect given his play. So I think those are two really good examples of the progression that we've seen from him in the run game. And as a result, you know, we've seen a lot less, you know, not solely for this reason, but we've seen a lot less of Josiah DeGuara in recent weeks as well. And when you draft a, a Luke Musgrave, you draft a Tucker Craft, you claim a Ben Sims off waivers, like I imagine the ideal plan or part of the plan was always going to be Josiah DeGuara's role being phased out as the season went on. But his playing time has really fallen off a cliff. Uh, the first, I believe... Six games of the season, DeGora averaged almost 21 snaps per game. Over the last three, he has 23 combined. Like Luke Musgrave's been tight end one since he stepped in Green Bay, but I think his progression in terms of the the pass catching abilities, abilities as a blocker specifically, we're seeing Tucker Craft's role grow grow as well. And then as a result, and partially due to his performance, uh, Josiah DeGore is being worked out of that equation in terms of snaps, playing time, and contributions. And no snaps for Ben Sims this week either, which was an interesting one. And you have seen that like it's basically been a takeover by Luke Musgrave and Tucker Craft for those tight end snaps, which I love. And I'm glad you brought up Tucker Craft as well, because I do think his attention to detail in the blocking game has been a night and day difference from day one up until now. One of the things I like, one of my first impressions of Tucker Craft is he was working off to the sides with, with his, with the tight ends coach and he, he's doing something and his coach was about to tell him what he did wrong. And he, he before he began said, he was like, yeah, 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 I know it's too high. Like I know, like I was, he was already mad at himself. <laughs> like he knew the coaching point. He knew what he did wrong. He didn't even need to be told. And then he's like, and he wanted to do it again. And he, you could just tell like there was this great desire from him to be better at it, to learn. And I've been really impressed as a blocker with Tucker Craft's progress. And I think though, like that is going to pay dividends for Craft, where if he can really sell as a blocker that he's going to block in the majority of plays, then all of a sudden you get some of those leak plays for Tucker Craft. And I think that's when he's going to become far more dangerous. As far as Musgrave, I am biting my tongue a little bit because we have been burned with second year players in the past. We like we can look at Christian Watson right now who are like, Oh my goodness, look what he did as a rookie. Imagine what he's going to be in year two. And so far year two has not been what year one was. And that unfortunately has been a bit of a trend. Josh Myers went drastically backwards in year two. Eric Stokes went majorly backwards in year two. So we cannot just assume that year two is going to be better than year one, but theoretically, on paper, this should be the baseline for Luke Musgrave moving forward and what we should expect. And if he does continue to improve, and I do think that like you can tell with Luke, and I think part of like the stumbling after the catch and all of the sort of things that people are noticing is the fact that the game has not slowed down for him yet. That doesn't mean he's not ultra talented. That doesn't mean that he's like, um, you know, not helping this team, but you can tell he's still going a bit too fast, trying to do a bit too much. And again, the game just hasn't slowed down. I do think if that time does come and he does take a second or third year jump, whenever that is, and the game slows down for him, look out because this is what he's doing when the game is still a little bit fast. And I'm really, really still excited about what he can be as a long-term prospect at tight end. Yeah, there was that uh, story or example from Matt LaFleur a few weeks ago in practice where he looked at Musgrave and he goes, it doesn't always, you know, depending on the play, the route, what the defense is doing, doesn't always have to be 100 miles an hour. Run this at 90 miles an hour for me. And I think that speaks perfectly to what you were just describing there, moving at at light speed with with that big frame of his. And just to touch on the blocking once more again, this is a piece of the puzzle. There's a lot of things that have changed from offensive line play being better. Obviously the return of Aaron Jones, but 
as the the tight ends have progressed with their blocking, we're seeing in recent weeks a more productive, not great, but a more productive version of this Packers running game. I think Jones and Dylan in the last three games are averaging uh, just under four and a half yards per carry between the two of them. I mean, they're they're finding more success. And as we talked about after that Rams game, even you know, it doesn't have to be these massive chunk plays. It's even this like the Steelers game. They weren't ripping off these huge runs other than the AJ Dillon one, but they're at least netting positive plays for the most part. It was a three yard gain, a four yard gain, at least keeping you with the sticks, at least keeping you a, or putting you ahead of the sticks sometimes, which keeps the Packers out of the, those doom situations, those second and third and longs, and just changes the complexion of everything on a drive from the, the play calling standpoint, uh, taking some of the, the control away from the defense. So, so again, tight ends are a small piece of that puzzle, long ways to go in the blocking game, but I think that their progression in that, res- in that respect is helping the run game as well. There might be another that I'm another couple that I'm not thinking of, but outside of that five yard loss and right in the, like the two minute drill where they had to like they lost five yards, it was a run pass option. They chose the pass. The you know corner did not bite on Dobbs whatsoever, and Dobbs didn't really sell it at all or block at all, whatever he's supposed to do on that play. And Reed gets tackled for the five yard loss, and then they decide to just kind of punt on the drive. But um, outside of that, there were not the negative plays in the backfield quite as much. Mm-hmm. And those are the big things, as you mentioned, that are just absolute drive killers. And that's the thing that going back to the Rams game where you could see more, much more positive runs and far fewer negative runs. And I thought that carried over, maybe not again, super efficient running the ball at all times, especially I know Jones had a tough time getting going more due to the blocking than anything Jones was doing wrong, but uh, it still to me is trending in the right direction better than it was in the handful of weeks prior to that. I want to stick on the offensive side of the ball. Cause I know on your timeline, you had an interesting statistic out there. Luke Musgrave, Jaden Reed, Dontavian Wicks this week, 199 of the 289 passing yards this week. Love went to those three rookies early and often, and it was a lot of the explosive plays. Reed for the touchdown, Reed on the big one on the final drive. Um, You've got Wicks on the ad-lib play that looked very Aaron Rodgers-esque where he navigated the pocket, rolled right through across his body left. The two big plays down the field to Musgrave. This, This is one of the things that, is giving me a lot of optimism. And I know there's been a lot of, you know, talk of the Christian Watson and and whatever's going on there. I I have to say like long-term the, the Musgrave and we'll see where Kraft ends up as a, like a playmaker sort of player. I'm I'm not just going to take some time there, but the Musgrave Reed Wicks Dobbs Watson group of five is something that I am extremely excited about. And I was talking to Nagler on Monday about this a little bit. It's it's funny. Like everyone's like, oh, Green Bay, they, they're going to need a number one wide receiver. They got to get a number one wide receiver. The, the thing I talked about with Aaron is how quickly we forget that in year one and year two, about the only dynamic wide receiver of the Favre Rogers era that was that good in year one or year two, where they were like the guy, number one wide receiver was Greg Jennings. Um, driver was not Freeman was not Jones was not Cobb was not uh, Devante was not Nelson was not we can go on and on like the the top tier like it didn't happen overnight and even if you look at like when Jermichael Finley it took till like what year three until we started to see that jump for Jordy it was a little bit later for like all those guys it took a little bit of time Donald Driver was not so the fact that these guys are putting up some of these numbers in year one specifically with Reed Wicks and Musgrave uh, I am still extremely excited about this group of playmakers long-term, and I think it's only going to get better and better and better as time goes on. Yeah, we're really starting to see those rookies gain traction. Like you said, they had, uh, between the three of them, 10 receptions on 13 targets, 199 yards. Of those 10 receptions, five of them were explosive plays uh, for that for that trio. And you know, as the as the game unfolds and they the Packers inevitably run into those situations where it's end of game and they need a score, you know, those guys are emerging as hopefully what can become some go-to options for Jordan Love in those situations. Cause as we know right now, he's relying really, really heavily on Christian Watson in those end of game situations to come up with those big throws. And I'm curious your thoughts on this, but I do wonder if at times there's a a predetermining on Love's part of 
all right, I got my six, four receiver runs a four, three, six on the outside. It's a go-to situ, you know, a must have it situation. That's where I'm going with the ball. And I think that first interception is, you know, kind of, it's one example, but I think it portrays that a little bit because, you know, love, you know, he was, you know, he did a good job of looking off the safety, the, the ball placement, like LaFleur said, could have been a little bit better, but wasn't this egregious play by any means. But Matt LaFleur said, given the Pittsburgh Steelers coverage, the ball was never intended to go there. That was not the intent of the play. And so I do wonder again, trying to take advantage of Patrick Peterson's aggressiveness was something that Love had mentioned. And he's got his big receiver on the outside. If there was a little bit of, all right, this is where I'm going with the ball regardless because of the matchup that he liked. And if you have other guys like a Musgrave, a Reed, a Wicks, who continue to progress and come up in those big situations, you know, hopefully Love doesn't have to have that feeling of this is where I have to go or the, with the ball. And there's those other opportunities out there for them. Um, and the chunk play aspect that we've seen in recent weeks, like the the Steelers game was kind of a culmination so far of the trio's best performance, but they've been building up to that. You know, Jaden Reed, I think in five of the nine games this season has at least has a 30 yard reception. Uh, Dontavian Wicks continues to find ways to get the ball in key situations. As we mentioned, Luke Musgrave, four explosive plays in the last two weeks. Like this is a building up that we've seen and it kind of all came together in that Steelers game. And that big play aspect is, as we all know, something that's been missing from this offense. For one thing, without it, it's a tough, tough life to live in the NFL when you got to string together 10, 12 play drives to go and score and have to do that routinely, especially when you have an offense that's been as mistake prone as the Packers. Uh, you know, from how they how the opponent plays you. Like if they're not afraid of the deep ball, they're gonna shrink things, gonna make running the ball difficult, the intermediate, middle, short area throws more challenging. So there's just a whole new world that can be opened up if the Packers are able to, you know, unlock that aspect of their game, you know, relatively uh uh, relatively efficiently speaking in terms of the types of throws, but just a, a massive step forward from this group. And in addition to just loves play that we saw on Sunday, you know, talking about progress for this offense, the contributions from those three specifically uh, generating chunk plays was huge. Yeah. It, it's really an interesting thought on predetermining to Watson. I can say if I was probably playing quarterback, I would probably predetermine to Watson on a decent amount of plays too. Um, just because of the the raw natural talent that he has, mm-hmm. six four, six five, four. Yeah, that's a guy that you probably want to get the ball to down the field and, and hope that he's going to go up and get. Obviously, that hasn't exactly worked out. Five of uh, of Love's ten interceptions have been targeting Christian Watson. Um, so yeah, I think that that connection just hasn't come along. But I do think there is like you could tell early on Watson. Uh, excuse me. Um, Love had that level of trust with Romeo Dobbs and was giving him some of those balls. And then more as of late, it's he's been trying to get those to Watson. And now I think you're starting to see him start to throw a little bit more to Dontavian Wicks and Jaden Reed and let them have some of those opportunities. And your hope is, you know, long-term and whether it's Musgrave or Wicks or Reed or Dobbs or Watson, it's not so much a predetermination. It's not so much of like, all right, who do I trust in this situation? You develop trust with all those guys, know where they're going to be, and you go to the best option that's out on the field. And I think it, that's a that's a easier thing said than done um, for a, a young quarterback in this league because you do feel a safety valve or like a like just have that level of trust in a player that you've played with a little bit more that maybe does have a little bit of that raw natural talent that's a little bit bigger. But at the end of the day, as I've said about wide receiver for a long time, this is a game of separation. And it's you know, it's not to say that Christian can't separate right now with that insane speed, and we've seen it, and they need to hit on some of those deep throws. But Dontavian Wicks, Jaden Reed, we're seeing them get a little bit more consistent separation and I think becoming more involved and more targeted because of that. And kudos to Wes Hotkovitz as well, who pointed out Jaden Reed now has seven 30-plus yard uh, receptions on the season, which is tied for second in the NFL behind only Tyree kill, which is just a really incredible statistic and just shows you, this is not just your, you know, in and out gadget slot wide receiver. This is somebody who has the ability to get behind the defense and make those big explosive plays. I think more of it is going to come and it has the ability to be a real big weapon for this Packers offense moving forward. Yeah. You had a, you had a line last week when we were having our conversation that I really liked, you know, we were talking about the contested catches and you said something to the effect of, 
how about instead of always having to make contested catches, how about we get some separation to create some easier throws? And to your point, Wick says, you know, from day one, he's been really, really good at that. I mean, Jordan Love just talked about it last week, his release off the line of scrimmage. He called him shifty uh, with his ability to work around cornerbacks, create that separation. And we're seeing that more consistently from uh, Jaden Reed as well. As you mentioned from that stat from Wes, like the big play potential has been there since week one, since the season started for him. Now it's just about that that consistency factor, and we're starting to see that progress. Uh, so a couple things I want to go over that unfortunately aren't going according to plan. I want to start with the red zone offense. Only three touchdowns in their last 13 drives in the red zone, which has been clearly not good enough. It starts with offensive line play, and as Matt LaFleur mentioned earlier this week, you have to be able to run the ball in the red zone just to set everything else up. I think it was Tom Silverstein Um I think it was last week it was asked like, why are we not seeing, you know, some of those play action fakes where you end up with like a tight end wide open in the end zone or defense is doing something different. And um, I think it was a smart, it was a smart question. And as I like was thinking about it more, it's like, well, you've got to be able to like have the threat of running the football first before mm-hmm. you can play action and get those tight ends wide open. If you don't have to oversell and have everyone coming up to stop the run, well, then you're not going to get tight ends open in the back of the end zone. But uh, your thoughts on green Bay struggles in the red zone as of late. Yeah, I, I wrote about that after the game because that was just obviously such a big fat determining factor in the outcome. They had five trips to the red zone against the Steelers, which is awesome. That's excellent. But obviously only converted one of them into a touchdown. And even over the last three games, those 13 red zone trips that you mentioned, that's 4.3 a game. That is that's absurd. That's really, really good. And I, you know, and especially in recent weeks, we keep hearing more and more the, you know, kind of the players within the locker room talk about. We feel like we're close. We feel like we're close. And, you know, what we see on the field doesn't always mirror that. But when you, you know, take a step back and you're like 13 red zone trips, all right, and you see 13 scoring opportunities over the last three games to put a touchdown on the board, like you can see why they might be feeling that way and why there is that optimism around kind of what they're doing and how they're progressing. But to your point, like the floor said, it it starts with the run game. The, The margin for error in the red zone is is so small it's a condensed part of the field there's less space to operate within if you don't have a run game to to lean on or you're not able to pick up you know some steady yardage five six yards a clip in that part of the field just makes passing the ball which is already more challenging because there's less space to operate within more difficult especially for an offense that's been so wildly inconsistent in that aspect of the game so i I, that that's where it all stems from and early on in the season they were you know, the water finds its level, as they say, because they were actually really efficient in the red zone early on in the year, despite not having that run game to lean on. Uh, I think, like you said, there's more, um, you know, from a play design standpoint that they could try to do to try to create some opportunities in, in that in that aspect. But the positive is that they're at least moving the ball and having those opportunities to get there. And I, I peeked ahead to the Chargers. They've given up you know, one of the highest red zone opportunities in football this season. So hopefully something for them to continue to build on this week, but got to convert those opportunities into points. This, this Steelers game, you know, as many positives as we can take away from it was still, you know, kind of what we've seen throughout the season where it just missed opportunity, missed opportunity and on defense, special teams from the offensive perspective, there was still just a lot left on the table for this Packers team. So I'm not going to lie. When I'm in the middle of Packer season, I don't always eat the best. It's by far my busiest time of year. I don't have a ton of time to make healthy meals. And because of that, I end up eating a lot of unhealthy foods. And when I'm not eating healthy, my digestive system doesn't always feel the best. And I end up feeling less focused, more stressed. And it just feels like my immune system is fighting with an arm behind its back. That's why I tried AG1. I was tired of being tired and I was tired of being unfocused and I needed to kickstart my immune system and increase my energy. And when I started drinking AG1 daily, I could feel the difference in my digestive health and my daily energy. That's because AG1 is a foundational nutritional supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. Not only did I replace my multivitamin with AG1, but I love that every scoop includes probiotics for gut support, B vitamins for energy, and zinc to help support my immune health. 
that's why Packaday is proud to be sponsored by AG1. AG1 is the supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash packaday. That's drinkag1.com slash packaday. Check it out. Cue the dramatic music. We have a public service announcement. It's not a bird. It's not a plane. It's the most revolutionary ball trimmer the world has ever seen. Gentlemen, our friends over at Manscaped have been working night and day to bring you a below-the-waist grooming experience like none other with their brand new performance package 5.0 Ultra. Featuring the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra, we're talking about a next-generation trimmer with interchangeable blade heads for whatever shave your mind can imagine. Upgrade your grooming game to the Ultrasphere this year by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with code PACKADAY. High tech for low places, Manscaped. Personally, Manscaped is my go-to for all of my grooming needs. Manscaped has some crazy technology that helps prevent nicks, cuts, snags, and tugs in all those ultra-sensitive places. I also personally recommend the Crop Soother Aftershave Lotion that just makes the entire experience so much better. In an area that you have to have trust, I trust Manscaped, and you should too. Right now, you can get 20% off plus free shipping with the code PACKADAY at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with code PACKADAY at manscaped.com. I can promise you've never seen a ball trimmer look like a spaceship, so get yours today from our folks over at Manscaped. Hey there. I'm sure you've heard a ton about daily fantasy sports, but I'm here to tell you that you've never experienced anything quite like prize picks. With basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three points made plus receptions. Even more fun yet? Do you want to play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz? You can now find community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the prize picks community each week. I've had so much fun making prize picks a part of my daily fantasy sports routine. They cover all of my favorite sports, have a ton of variety and different options to choose from, and the player choices are immense. I even had a fun J.K. Scott selection the other day for the Chargers game. I recently had a big win on Saturday morning in a London game, and it just made the viewing experience so much more enjoyable. It's fun, it's exciting, it's easy, and there's a level of creativity and uniqueness about it that I really, really enjoy. So go to prizepicks.com slash packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. It's funny how that works because when you move the ball up and down the field, I think inherently it feels better. You get a lot of positive plays. You get a lot of you know, really fun stuff from Jaden Reed and Luke Musgrave that we've talked about. And you can see those, like it's, it's a tangible feel. You can feel it, but it doesn't take away the fact that, as you mentioned, there's still mistakes at the end of those drives that take a lot of points off the board and really leave you just wanting for more and knowing that the, so much more is out there for you. I think that, like that's part of the positive is that, um, you know, you, you feel decent about some of the things that happened and can see that there is still so much more out there for you. If you just execute like slightly better, that goes from a 19 point game to a, you know, 28, 29 point game or whatever it ends up being um, because they just execute slightly better, specifically in the red zone. We talked about Luke Musgrave, obviously earlier. I think he's going to have to become a much better factor. I think if Aaron Jones, and I know um, it's not like, you know, he was able to get a bunch going in the red zone this week, but I think if you have him through the course of the season, fully healthy, that is something that certainly would have helped their red zone efficiency up until this point as well. But uh, it, it needs to be better. They've got to figure out a way. I do think it starts up front on the offensive line. We go back to the fact of this is not a mauling physical offensive line. And when you get into those really tight condensed situations and you need to move somebody three yards backwards to pick up that, that touchdown, um, that's not something that this offensive line's been really, really good at. So they're going to have to figure out something. Uh, otherwise, it's going to probably be a, a lot of empty calories, a lot of yardage that ends in some field goal attempts and uh, a lack of touchdowns, unfortunately. Oh, oh go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to add that, you know, as we've seen throughout the season and, you know, 
relates back to our previous conversation with Musgrave, Reed Wicks, Watson, Dobbs. Like there just isn't that go-to guy in the passing game that they can lean on to 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 dig them out of you know whatever hole they might be in in the red zone. And uh, hopefully, as we can see, continue to see these guys progress, even if, you know even if there's not one specific option, if you have multiple options that the defense has to worry about, that can be you know obviously very beneficial as well. Do you think they need to get Jordan moving a little bit more in some of those situations mm-hmm. as well? Um, if you, because if, if you're taking away his ability to run, you're playing 10 on 11 in that condensed space. I think if you have the threat of him running a little bit more, now it becomes 11 on 11. You have to have somebody that's sort of mm-hmm. responsible for him. And maybe that opens up a, a little bit of space somewhere else. Um, and, and who knows? And maybe he can ad lib a little bit more in those situations as well. But definitely think they need to get him moving in the red zone more. I want to move over to special teams. DVOA is not perfect and we don't need to get into all of the nuances of DVOA on today's episode. Um, but uh, Wendell Ferreria pointed out this week uh, on Twitter, offense so far through 10 weeks is 18th in the NFL in DVOA. Defense is 23rd. I don't think either of those numbers are ultra surprising. That feels about mm-hmm. right for both of those units so far. Special teams, 28th in DVOA which also doesn't necessarily feel super surprising. I don't know if you would have told me like which one ranked worse. I don't know that special teams would have necessarily been on the top of my list, but at the same token, I do think that there just lacks a little something in special teams. And we're seeing some mistakes. Obviously you've got a blocked extra point this week. You've got a kick out of bounds this week. We've seen some other blocked kicks. We haven't seen anything super dynamic yet, although I think Keyshawn Nixon is starting to find his groove a little bit as a returner. I think Anders Carlson, we still have to feel pretty positive about so far this year based on how he's kicked. But this Rich Passaccia-led special teams in year two has not taken a significant step forward. I do think part of that is due to the fact of Rudy Ford, Keyshawn Nixon, you know, this past week, Corey Ballantyne, some of these core special teamers having to play a ton on defense and not being available as much on special teams. I think that's a little bit of an excuse because they still have, whether when they're, whether they're calling up guys like Innis Gaines uh, to the active roster, there's been a plethora of other guys that have been practice squad call-ups. It just doesn't feel quite good enough yet. And I don't know that it's been talked about a ton yet. What are your thoughts on the special teams right now? Yeah, it's it feels a lot like what we're seeing on offense and defense where there's this, you know, once or twice a game from the special teams perspective where something just goes wrong. And I think that's been balanced out a little bit by, like you mentioned, Keyshawn Nixon. You know, he's getting more opportunity opportunities on kick returns as the weather turns. Um, Jaden Reed has shown when he's had the opportunity on punt returns to be able to turn that into something. The field goal block unit, whether they get a hand on it or for whatever or whatever they're doing up front, kickers are missing against them. So I feel like there's been a, a number of positives as well that has balance things out. And then, you know, the run defense, just the ups and downs of the offense, like that's where a lot of the attention's going. So I feel like those are kind of key contributors into why it's flying under the radar. But from an execution standpoint, uh, I mean, they're in year two with the Joe Barry system, you know, or excuse me, Rich Bisaccia system. Like you, you, you would expect there to be this kind of step forward. And to your point, and I know Rich Bisaccia has mentioned this in a few of his different media availabilities, talking about how, you know, they've had a lot of turnover this season at some specific roles because uh, poor special teams guys have had to play more defensive snaps. So their special teams load has been lightened. But I, I looked it up at Pro Football Focus in terms of overall snaps. Eight of the top 11 guys on special teams this year from a snap count perspective were on this unit last year. Like this isn't like the offensive side of the ball where it, it's this brand new unit, a ton of, you know, inexperienced guys that they're, uh, throwing out on the football field, asking them to go execute. Uh, so from that perspective, it's it's a bit head scratching to me in terms of the issues that they're having. And even the 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 new guys on this year's team, it's Christian Welch, who's been a core special teams player within his time in Baltimore. Jonathan Owens again has his has his share of special teams maps snaps from his time in Houston. Like it's it's a bit head scratching right now. And we go back to kind of you know thirty thousand foot view of this Packers team and what Brian Gutekinds wanted it to be. I know Zach Cruz has used the term guardrails to describe, you know, kind of keeping the the car on the road this season as they navigate the ups and downs. Like 
special teams to me, and I think I wrote about this over the summer or the spring, like it was supposed to be that. You have yeah. Rich Bisacci in year two. They've, unlike in years past, the last two offseasons, they've invested in that unit. This was supposed to be, you know, a, a foundational piece. And as special teams, it's not always going to, it's not going to be what you lean on to go win you games by any means. But you don't want it, you obviously don't want it losing you games either. And not to say that it's been at that extent each week, it hasn't, but it hasn't provided that stability that I think the Packers were banking on to, you know, convert. Uh, scoring opportunities when they can to not lose the field position battle, not let field or point extra point attempts get blocked. Like there's just been that inconsistency. And again, it's another aspect like the offensive line in the run game, you know, the, the veteran defense of, all right, here's what we have to hang our hat on this season. And it just hasn't quite provided that for them. I do like the, the Yash Nyman secret weapon uh, field goal block in the middle uh, how many players do you think uh, like would need to be on active game day rosters and like how big would rosters have to get before you had a dedicated like seven foot, like, you know, just giant right in the middle or maybe even two of them to block kicks like like 60. Like, if it gets to 60, do you yeah. have a dedicated field goal blocker? I, I think you might. I, think, um, I mean, if, if Caleb Jones gets on the gets on the active game day roster, we got him right there. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. Yeah. <laughs> Caleb and Yash right next to each other. I'm all for it. They've at least tried to be creative with some stuff. Yash being a, a field goal blocker um, is at least one of those things. But yeah, it, it it's I'm left wanting for more. Um I, I gave a lot more forgiveness in year one for Basashia because it's been like a decades long issue uh, in Green Bay and you don't just necessarily fix that overnight. But I wanted more in year two, especially with uh, the, the track record that Basashi has had. And again, as you mentioned, spending legitimate resources on special teams talent and really filling the back end of that roster, not necessarily like Christian Welch is a great example, right? I, I would be willing to bet that, Brian and, and the staff are not super bullish on Christian Welich's long-term linebacker uh, specialty. Like, I don't think they're like, man, we got this diamond in the rough. He's going to end up being a big time linebacker for us. We just got to, just got to develop this kid. I, th- I, I think he's on there specifically to be a, a big time special teams player. And I think Dallin Lovett, same thing. Like Dallin Lovett is on this team to be a special teams guy. They have filled the back of this roster specifically with players that are not high-end upside players that we're going to keep trying to develop and, and hopefully they become starters down the road. These are guys that are on this team right now to be special team specialists. I haven't seen quite enough of that high-end play from anybody to uh, to really make me feel super excited about it. Maybe that turns around. Maybe that takes more than a year and a half, and I'm, I'm hopeful that, that that's maybe the case, but just, just wanting a little bit more right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Agreed. Let's talk, about, let's talk about one more uh, before we get out of here. Uh, I, I think we're all, I don't think we, we haven't talked Joe Barry's defense because I think it's all been, it's all been said, right. But uh, I thought an interesting stat came across today. Uh, Arjun Menon over on the, uh, the old X uh, said he, he, he ran all the numbers from weeks one through 10 for all the defenses. And these are most explosive plays allowed by defenses through 10 weeks of the season. Now, Arjan is, is not looking at this from a Packers point of view. He put this together as a all-encompassing NFL point of view. The numbers that he chose are somewhat arbitrary. How we define an explosive play could be 25 yards, could be 40 yards. Could, like That could be defined in a variety of different ways. The thresholds that he chose, again, I think for like how he defined an explosive play was 10-plus yards in the running game and 20-plus yards in the passing game. And Green Bay has allowed 30 uh, 10-plus yard rushing attempts, which is uh, on the very high percentage uh, so far. They have allowed 25 20-plus yard pass uh, completion, I should say, completions, um, which is not terrible. That's actually on the, the decent side of things. But overall, 55 explosive plays, again, over 10 yards rushing, over 20 yards receiving on a specific play, which is fifth most um, per game in the NFL. It's telling in the fact that this is the one thing they're supposed to be focusing on defensively in this system. If you're, if, if, if we know that Joe Barry system is trying to really do one thing, it's limit explosives and you're, you're trying to 
basically say, hey, we're willing to give up some rushing yards. We're willing to give up some underneath completions. We're willing to give up a decent amount of that stuff. And you can, you can, you know, paper cut us to death, but you're not going to get the explosives. And we're going to make sure that we don't allow you in the red zone to, to get those touchdowns. Whether we want to call that bend, but don't break or whatever we want to call it. We're going to put the umbrella over the top. We're going to make sure you don't get those explosives. But Green Bay, at least according to this, and it defined as, again, the 10 and 20 yarders in the run and passing game, um, specifically fifth most. So if you're not getting the turnovers, you're not getting the time of possession, you're not stopping the explosives, man, it's getting harder and harder to be like, what What do they do well, Paul? Because it's it's getting harder to figure that out. You laid it all out right there. I was going to say, remind me again, Andy, what's, what's the MO of the Joe Barry defense? What are we trying to accomplish here? And, you know, in terms of the explosive passing plays, like, let me know if, if if I'm missing it, but not a lot come to mind where it's over the head. Like, no, they're not getting beat deep, you know, in that regard on the downfield yeah. passing play, but there's way too much space to operate within. And they just don't have, as we've seen, they don't have the tacklers to play that style of football necessarily as effectively as you'd hope, where keep everything in front of you, rally to the football, bring the ball carrier down. Like that Vikings game was a prime example of that. I think, Bill Huber crunched the numbers. The the Packers put the Vikings in 12, third and eight or longer. Like that's what you want. They, they were executing on first and second down, but the Vikings ended up, I think, converting 11 of their 18 total opportunities in that game because the, they were just attacking the middle of the field where the space was yards after the catch and Green Bay wasn't able to tackle them, you know, b- before the first down marker. Like that, that's very much an, an issue where it feels like what they – want to accomplish defensively from a schematic standpoint isn't matching the the guys that they have on the field to be able to go and execute that you know that the tackling aspect of it the rallying to the football everything that goes into that and then I mean we all know the 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 issues in the in the run game and giving up those big plays you know the Matt LaFleur press conference on Monday you know obviously there was a lot of time spent on the the run defense aspect of it but more he's in my understanding and what I've observed, he's kind of, he's done this throughout the season, but he continues to really, really harp on it's the players and not to say that, you know, we all see it, not to say that there aren't situations where these players aren't being put in positions to be successful, but he was really, really going back to that aspect of it. I mean, the Rob Demosky had the, the stat, I think it was 3.6 yards per rush before, uh, uh, the Steelers running backs were even being contacted by Green Bay. Like, yeah, there were times where they were maybe not, or weren't in the best positions to be successful, but there were plenty of times too where they weren't doing their assignment correctly. They weren't in the right gap or they were just getting straight blown off the football. Like to me, he, listening to all that, that was my my biggest takeaway from it. And, you know, he even referenced the Steelers uh, defensing. You know, they played a lot of cover two against our offense and they were able to stop us kind of like, a, well, we did that, but we weren't able to stop them either. So, you know, it's it's everything, you know, it, it's, you know, we can always go back to the Joe Barry and the situational football and the lack of awareness at times in that regard. But the players, too, it, it, they just aren't executing anywhere nearly consistent enough. And then we're seeing the the ripple effects of that and that bend. But don't break style like you need complementary football for that to to be effective if you're going to give up nine ten play drives whether it ends in a field goal whether it doesn't better hope your offense goes strings together at least a few first downs so you yep. see so you get a break and you're not back out on the football field and in that situation again we've seen that over and over and over this season and just the vicious cycle that this Packers defense and then team as a whole gets in and I think another component layer to all this is that they're just not generating enough pressure, like consistently as a unit. Rashawn Gary, we all know how gaudy his numbers are. But again, if you're going to give that cushion uh, to protect overhead, like you need your guys to get home. Otherwise, it's just going to be, again, I referenced that Vikings game because it just felt like a prime example of it. It's just going to be pitch and catch all day over the middle in space, yards after the catch opportunity. So I feel like the the Packers' ability to create consistent pressure and hey, get home with a blitz that they have not been effective in in that regard either this season, getting after the quarterback. So it, it's just you need the complimentary football. You need to, the, the ability to get after the quarterback. It's it's everything. And it just gets magnified when 
all combined. It's just not being executed. And even though you're out there to not give up big plays, you're still giving up the big plays. Well said. It is everything. And I'm, I am glad that you pointed that out because I, one thing, and this is, and I, I say this every time I, it even starts like I'm trying to defend Joe Barry. I'm not trying to defend Joe Barry. I don't want to carry that flag. That's, that's not what I'm trying to do here. I do think one of the things that gets overblown and sort of shoved in Joe Barry's face specifically is the man, they got eight first round picks. Like it has to be, they got eight first round picks. They got eight first round picks. The first thing I will say is, well, Darnell Savage is out right now. Eric Stokes is out. Jire Alexander is out. Like there, you've got a decent amount of first round of those that's three first round picks right there that are, are not playing right now. The next thing I will say is you've got a Lucas Van S who is certainly not playing like a, a high end player. And, and maybe just instead of going through each of these, the easier thing would be who on this defense is playing at a very high level right now. And so it's basically like Rashawn Gary. And then the next person on that list was Razul Douglas, in my opinion, and they just mm-hmm. kind of traded that guy away. So like we can argue all you want. Like, oh man, look at all the first round picks. He's got eight, three of those guys aren't playing and B the only one that's really playing at that level and is really playing really great football. In my opinion is Rashawn Gary. There's just not, if you're talking about pro bowl caliber style players on this Packers defense, it's, it's Rashawn and that's it. And even because the edge pool is so talented right now, even Rashawn's probably not in that conversation just because of the amount of snaps that he missed early in the season and those sort of things. So I do think that if the default is like, Oh, the eight first round picks, look at all the talent. I think we're smart enough at this point to say, all right, there is, this is not a ultra talented Packers defense. There's some good players on it. And you would like some of these players to be playing better. I can point to a Devontae Wyatt, who I think might be better in a different system. And there's some other players who I think that might be the case for as well. So we can, we could have a whole nother debate and argument of like, are all of these players being used to the best of their abilities? And I think we could probably come to a conclusion down the road of like, yeah, there's a lot of players that maybe could be used differently. But I do think that players need to play better. I do not think this is a stacked Packers defense full of, you know, ultra talented, talented maybe, but not guys that are playing at a high level. And I also think that a lot of times these defenders are not being put in the best possible positions to succeed. And at the end of the day, and where I kind of wanted to go with this from the onset of like, all right, they're, they're also giving up big plays. You have to find something you do well. Whether that, and I, this is the biggest thing, and I've preached it for three years of the the Joe Barry, um, you know, regime at this point, is what what is your MO? What is it that you do well? What is your identity? You have to find something. This is not a hard-hitting, physical, smash-you-in-the-mouth defense. This is not a, hey, we are extremely assignment-sure, and we are all on the same page, ultra-communicative defense. This is not a ball hawking. We are going to rip away the football and get takeaways defense. This is not a high pressure. We are going to blitz the crap out of you and make you crap your pants defense. This is not a bend, but don't break successful defense. This is not, we are going to limit explosive plays defense. This is not any, any, any style that you want to be anything that you want to put in there. It has not been the case. And that's my biggest thing is at some point, regardless of the players that you have, regardless of the system that you're running, regardless of everything else, you have to be good at something. And there just isn't that one thing right now for Green Bay. And one other thing I just want to add, you know, going on about, um, you know, the floor talking about how the players have to be better. Like for me, his his press conference on Monday, it also kind of brought back to 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 light that, you know, he's he's the head coach. Like he's agreeing on what these game plans are like. Yep. He he said he even said in that in that press conference that what we asked our def, our guys to do defensively in that game there was nothing that we did not practice throughout the week. Now he pointed to yeah, there's times situationally where they could have done things different. Like he wasn't absolving Joe Barry of of everything by any means, but what they're doing defensively, what the players are being asked to do, the positions are being put in, like. He's signing off on that, you know, heading into the game. Obviously, it's Joe Barry's discretion as things unfold, but the overall game plan, you know, what they're asking them to do, you know, Lafleur's does have say in that. I mean, the Raiders game is a prime example of that, where after the Lions game, like philosophically, we have to do things different. And we did did see in that Raiders game a bit of a different, uh, I won't say aggressive, I'll say less passive 
defense in that game. And so, you know, he does and has that ability, obviously, as hedge coach to do so. But to me, that kind of brought back to to light just that, you know, because for, you know, could be forgotten about, you know, that that aspect of it of, hey, he is the head coach. He's signing off on this. This is what they're going out and doing. No, I'm, I'm right there. And there is a level of responsibility for Matt. Or if nothing else, like you said, there's there's like he's responsible for this, too, and he's signing off on it. And uh, yeah, like I said, we everyone's talked about defense all week. We're not going to necessarily bring anything too crazy to the table here that hasn't been talked about already, but um, just not good enough. It, it needs to be better. And uh, one other thing I was going to say is like we've been talking about like the, the explosive pass plays that went over Green Bay's head and things like that. And one of the best wide receiver quarterback combos that Green Bay's faced so far, um, Justin Fields, DJ Moore, week one. Um, you know, you've got Addison and Cousins. You've got – was Amon Ross St. Brown played in the, the Lions game, I think, if yeah, I remember I correctly. So. Jared Goff, Amon Ross St. Brown. Um, that's probably your best three that they've faced because Stafford was out for the Rams. Um, Jefferson was out for the Vikings. Um, I don't know, maybe Sutton and, and Russell Wilson or Wilson and Judy. I don't know, like obviously Adams has, is, is an amazing wide receiver and Cup is an amazing wide receiver, but it's Garoppolo and it's it's ripping in those games. They haven't played the the big explosive, you know, quarterback wide receiver duos yet. And Mahomes is coming to town. They're gonna get Goff and Amon Ross St. Brown again. Justin Herbert's coming to town. Like we're gonna see um if that defense is actually capable of of maybe keeping everything in front of them. I think things can be a little bit different against better quarterbacks as well, but hopefully I am wrong. Cause it would be great if they just went out and balled out and they actually, uh, you know, showed some real, uh, some real improvement on defense. That'd be great. Paul, amazing stuff as always. Where can we find all of your amazing work and where can we find you on social media? Appreciate it, Andy. Find all my work over at Packers wire, uh, hit subscribe on YouTube, Paul Brettel and follow me on Twitter at Paul underscore Brettel. Definitely do. So definitely check out his YouTube channel. You're not going to want to miss that. You can follow me at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow the podcast at Packaday Podcast. That is going to do it for us. We'll see Paul again next week. I will see you tomorrow right back here on an all new Packaday Podcast. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go. Mm-hmm.